Considering the Duluth model on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. And this week on the podcast, I have with me Dr. Stuart Scott. is a very familiar name to so many of you who have been faithful listeners to the podcast and members of ACBC for, for years are at least familiar with biblical counseling. Stuart has written so many books, contributed so much to the literature of the biblical counseling movement, and he is a professor of biblical counseling at the Masters University, and he's also employed here at ACBC. He's on staff with us as the Director of Membership Services. I'm so grateful for a personal relationship that I have with Stuart and how much wisdom he offers to me as a sounding board consistently, and we have some really fun conversations, and today is not going to be any different. We're going to have a good conversation about this model, the Duluth model that's growing. We're going to talk about this issue of abuse. And this is not a simple discussion to have, Stuart, right? So we're going to try and navigate this very carefully. We want to be wise in how we talk about these things. But there are so many people who are running very quickly toward the Duluth model. And and I just want us to raise this issue to our listeners, help them to understand a little bit about this new model, maybe you're hearing it for the first time, that is an attempt to address issues of abuse. But before we get there, let's talk just for a second about the issue of abuse. It is a real issue. It is something that we are facing, certainly in the church. And we could even argue maybe the church hasn't done a good job in dealing with some of these issues. I think that's certainly fair. But let's talk about this issue of abuse. Abuse is used, Stuart, in a thousand different ways. And oftentimes it's sort of this enigmatic term that is broad, and we sort of speak it. We think we know what we mean, but often we mean maybe different things. Are we talking about physical abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, all these different things where it becomes really utilized in such a wide variety of ways. Talk about how abuse is becoming just this overused and maybe underexpressed and underdefined term. Well, thank you, Dale, and it's always a joy to uh, join you and discuss issues that we're facing uh, in the church, right, and in our society. And uh, I, I agree with you. This is a very serious issue. A true domestic violence is a very serious issue. It's a real problem. And I think for the most part, uh, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, most people who are in the area of helping people are sincere. They, they really do want to help. So not we're not looking at judging really people's motives per se. And as far as the church, uh, I think we're behind, but we're, we're working on it. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're addressing the issue. We're trying to look at what does the scripture say? Uh, what's the church's role and responsibility? But yes, when you look at domestic violence and calling that abuse, it, it has uh, morphed into uh, emotional, societal uh, psychological, economic, verbal, sexual. I mean, it has so be- it has become so broad that now if someone just looks at you in a mean way, you know, it's abusive. The word has become like the, the word from a few decades ago of dysfunctional. Uh, it used to refer to a, a serious a kind of messed up home life in which someone uh, was raised in. And then it just became so generalized that it it could refer to anything. And, and unfortunately, that really hurts 
the true victims of serious domestic violence. And I, I and we grieve for that. The, the ones who really need the help and assistance and are really, they are being violently reviled would be a good biblical word for it. They just kind of get lost mm-hmm. in the crowd of, of anything and everything out there. I think that's a really critical point that uh, as we expand this idea of abuse beyond its intentional terms, we actually dilute the the vitality of the problem itself. We we sort of dismiss, and and that's not our goal ever. We we don't want to dismiss mm-hmm. those things that are that are real issues that people are suffering with. And it does seem as though we're moving sort of in that dilution of the real problem. And it's hard for us. I mean, people in what we just talked about relative to abuse and and us wanting to. Uh, make proper limitations on what is clearly defined as abusive type behavior or, as you described, domestic violence. We're, we're wanting to do that to be able to make sure we maintain clearly what is it that we're fighting against? How do we minister those who are who are truly experiencing these types of things? And, and I know that's a hard discussion, but I think it's a worthy discussion. Now, this is sort of the environment that we saw the Duluth model come up and arise out of is it was trying to answer a real legitimate problem, and we're not dismissing that at all. We're not saying that their abuse is not happening. We're not saying that abuse is not as bad as most people say. We're, we're not saying any of that. It is a real legitimate problem. And like you said earlier, I think no one goes into counseling. No one pursues this type of work because they hate people. I mean, that's just not how it works, right? I mean, we, we pursue this type of work, whatever stripe we are, because we love people and we want to help people. And uh, the Duluth model was born out of that desire in, in a lot of ways, is, is we see a problem, we want to address it, we want to fix it, but we have to be cautious. So let's talk about, first of all, what is the Duluth model? We might be introducing that to so many people, uh, and then we'll talk about some of the specifics that are behind this model. The Duluth model, which originated a couple of decades ago, uh, 1981, was primarily founded by a well-known feminist. Uh, her name was Ellen Pence. And a lot of the the different women who gathered to work on this program or project, uh, it was to reduce domestic violence against women. And, you know, majority of them had been abused in that way uh, with violence in the home, but for the most part, a very feminist agenda. And so as they're working on this, not a Christian uh, model in any way, uh, they were just there to how do we help and the design was a domestic abuse intervention project to reduce domestic violence against women. And according to that model, the Duluth model, because it was formed and put together in Duluth, Minnesota. So that's where it gets its name. But they quote, and I'm from their uh, material, that women and children are vulnerable to violence because of their unequal social, economic, and political status in society. A treatment of the abuse of men is focused on re-education, and they say we do not see men's violence against women as stemming from individual pathology, but rather from socially reinforced and reinforced sense of entitlement. So you have critical theory of the the oppressor oppressed coming through, and you also see this, uh, no one is really the villain. Uh, Even men who are portrayed as all violent, they're not even responsible. It's society to blame. Mm -hmm. It's really an interesting 
some of the ideologies that run through this whole project. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic. And here's the difficulty in what we're trying to do right now is when we see a, an issue that is a problem, like abuse, and we see somebody trying to make effort, it's always difficult to offer critique. But I think even some of the things mm-hmm. that you've laid down up to this point should make us caution. And we in our human nature have a tendency when we see a problem to have a knee-jerk reaction. We overcorrect the wheel. We go from one side of the ditch to the other, to the other ditch on the other side, and we swing the pendulum often too far. And I just think biblically, we need to be honest about mistakes that we're making in, in not caring for those who, are, who have been abused legitimately well, uh, but not try and run to this overcorrection. And part of the reason for that is some of the ideologies, as you sort of briefly alluded to. But let's let's first, I think it's proper, what are some of the positives that we can take away from a model like the Duluth model? When I look at the positives, they always come with a but, yeah. you know, or however, so some of these that I, I share as I've looked at the model, read through their uh, presentation of their material and how they go about helping the women, the children. Some of the positives is they are addressing a real issue going on out there and bringing awareness, right? Bringing awareness to us, I, I say us in the church, Christians, that's a positive, right? There's a serious problem going on and often hid or too fearful to talk about. Uh, with those being abused. So it, it brings in awareness. That's a good mm-hmm. thing. Another a positive is it, it seeks to present men and women as equal as persons. Now, it goes further than that. It gets rid of any kind of role and responsibility, uh, as Scripture teaches us, about any kind of male headship and uh, a companion, a loving companion. It, it goes further than that in a feminist way, but it does seek to bring men and women as equal as persons. That's a good thing. Uh, Another thing is they're really trying to stop true violence. Mm -hmm. Now, how they go about it, we we may differ, but that's a good thing. God is against oppression. Mm -hmm. Another positive thing is that they're trying to hold accountable, trying to keep the the, the victim safe Mm -hmm. and protect them. And that's a good thing. So it's the world trying to address a, a real problem and thank you, but how they're addressing it is is void of God, the gospel, you know, so many weaknesses that we see in the in the model. Yeah, and what they're trying to restore back toward, right? And yep. that is yep. the picture of what God has laid down in Scripture as to what is healthy relationship and, and what things should look like, and that is absolutely key. Now, and I appreciate the fact that we can look at any of these types of models and see some things that are that are positive mm-hmm. and good. But there are some concerns, and we need to be sort of eyes wide open about some of those concerns. And, you know, Stuart, these paradigms that we've talked about with the Duluth model are very important. They sort of build the setting by which we think through in order to address a problem. And uh, some of those primary paradigms are done in the form of wheels. The way that they're set up, particularly the most famous, I would say, is the power and control wheel. And there are other wheels, but I want you to talk for a second just about this power and control wheel and that paradigm in the Duluth model. Yes. Uh, matter of fact, a, a number of even biblical counselors have gotten into using this as their standard paradigm mm-hmm. and how they're dealing with violence, any kind of mistreatment in relationships with uh, professing Christians. And there are, are numerous wheels. If you go to their website, there's numerous wheels. There's the power and control wheel. There's the equality wheel. 
and, and on it goes. But most are familiar with the power of control and it's like one size fits all. And that's problematic. And it's all men are the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Women are ever seen as perpetrators, which is really, it's not even based on good science mm-hmm. and empirical data. It's just not. Mm-hmm. Uh, 55, 55% of child abuse is by women. Mm-hmm. It, it, it misses so much of the empirical data. One psychologist in Indiana University said it's a rigid treatment program based on ideology rather than on data. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's their take on it. It's not even used much anymore in the secular realm. They've went to a cognitive behavioral model, and they've gotten away from this a more psychoeducational model. But what's the positive thing about this power control? It just it expresses some of the ways that our sinful flesh carries out what we do, mm-hmm. uh, both men, women, and children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think of Genesis, where part of the curse was the man will rule over you, mm-hmm. and it won't, won't always be, right, and with love and care and tenderness. And her desire will want to rule over him. Mm-hmm. So it's not just men that, I mean, it was designed for just men to help victims to go, look how a man is manipulating you and mm-hmm. how he's expressing, working you to get, uh, so he has power and control over you. So to that point, it, okay, it shows some expressions of sinful flesh, but it's not all the expressions. It's not all of the motivations of the human heart. Uh, it only takes power and control and applies it to men. Mm-hmm. And that's the real downside when we, anyone seeks to use this as a paradigm. And that's that's the, the primary paradigm. And it's important for us to assess that first because any system is intended to be used just like that as a system. And you cannot remove that paradigm without removing it from the cement that it sits in in its system, right? And that cement is the yeah. philosophy that creates it. And that's a part of the difficulty. It And it's not, as you mentioned, that it doesn't recognize some of the key sinful observable expressions that, that men and women have in these types of issues. And those things are true. But the the problem is that paradigm is is set into these philosophies, and those mm-hmm. philosophies raise some other dangers and concerns. Yes. Some of the philosophies, ideologies, the very thing that Paul warns the Colossian church against, don't be taken captive by these human philosophies and ideologies, and then to take every thought captive mm-hmm. in 2 Corinthians 10. Uh, these things are all interwoven in it. There's assumptions and presumptions, but uh, the Dangers, concerns, and weaknesses far outweigh the benefits uh, of this model. It's not Christian, obviously. Uh, God's uh, not even present in their teaching. Their view of man, man as far as male, are the oppressors, and women are and children are always victims. So there's no individual responsibility or culpability. And then even blaming society for things. Mm. So it just, it goes in every different direction. Uh, It's against uh, God-given roles and responsibilities. Uh, And again, it raises itself up against the knowledge of Christ, is exactly what 2 Corinthians says. And it's not a flesh and blood war here. This is a spiritual battle going on from God and his word versus 
the world and its really demonic teachings that come out in these ideologies. But you have, I mentioned earlier, the critical theory of two groups of people, the oppressor and the oppressed. We see that running through feminist ideology. We see a standpoint theory ideology of my experience is what's the authority, not God's word is the authority, void of scripture, void of the church. It's all about support groups, you know, and usually it's a 26 to 52 week curriculum. Uh, immediately, the man is put out of the house. Uh, his authority is taken away, uh, usually given back to the wife. Uh, I say back to, given to the wife, the authority of the man's position as husband. He's, a, he's not using his authority right, but it takes his authority as a husband away, gives it to the wife or to the counselor. Uh, again, the one size fits all, the lack of science, effectiveness. Yeah, it just misses so much mm -hmm. and carries with it. It's like a, some have referred it as a Trojan horse mm -hmm. that it's coming in with let's help the oppressed, uh, the abused, the, those who are in domestic violence, let, let's help them. But inside is wrought with these kind mm -hmm. of, uh, I want to say the demonic. They're, they're not, they're not biblical uh, teaching at all. It's against one of our students in our program has worked 12 years in the domestic violence intervention in a state level. And she wrote and said, one of the biggest critiques about the Duluth model is that it makes the abusers better abusers. Uh, now they change their tactics into a more legal abuse. And that she she put that is one of the biggest critiques right now of that Duluth model. That's interesting because essentially what happens in moments like that is it sort of makes the people more sophisticated sinners. And we should take courage by that, that uh, we're trying to address the heart. And again, we're not always as successful as we wish. We're trying to use the gospel to assess the heart and address the heart. And anything we do that sort of band-aids or repatterns outward behavior is is essentially that we're we're creating more sophisticated sinners and and it's interesting to hear a report like that from somebody who's studied and worked with this for over twelve years. So one last thing before we shut this down today is you're talking to you mentioned that this is uh, becoming pervasive in some places in biblical counseling and I think we need to be aware of it and you know we're not dictating oh you you can or can't use it we're just saying this is a point of wisdom and discernment and so Stuart if somebody were to ask and say you know, hey, I've been reading this. I, I found some of it helpful, um, and I'm a biblical counselor. But but I've noticed some different things. Um, what would your advice be to them uh, and cautions be as they consider trying to employ something like the Duluth model or allowing it to be infused in some of the ways that they do their, their abuse-type counseling? You know, if someone looks at that power and control wheel or the equality wheel, uh, I think of Dr. David Paulson who says, you know, it can provoke us to study scripture. Mm -hmm. What does the scripture say? You know, yeah. take us back to scripture. That ought to be the first question any biblical counselor ought to be asking. Well, here's a problem going on out here. The secular community is addressing it, but what does the scripture say? It, it ought to take us from what they say about an issue to what does God say? That's that. He is our authority. His word is our authority. Can the people use it? I would say uh, minimally mm -hmm. it, it refer to it. I almost like to say don't, mm -hmm. uh, but you can read some of the manifestations of the sinful flesh 
both of the uh, person uh, causing conflict or abuse, but also manifestations of the flesh of any women or children. It, all people manifest the sinful flesh, and it can be in different ways. It's not all the ways that are on that wheel, but it's some ways, and that can be educational. It can flesh out what the Bible teaches about the sinful flesh. I think that was another thing by Dr. Paulson, is that the secular stuff and observations can flesh out what the Bible already teaches us, but we don't need it, the outside teaching, but it can be helpful, but be guarded. Yeah, be very guarded. I think that's a good word of caution, and especially as we consider the Duluth model. One of the things that I pray and hope, and listen, guys, this has been an introduction <laughs> to this concept, and so we could talk about this for, for hours, honestly, addressing the real issues of abuse and then uh, ways not to address those issues. One of the things that I hope we can walk away from this discussion uh, with is that it would make us zealous to search the scriptures to deal with this very legitimate problem. We have to begin to see that we have been inadequate to some degree, and we need to confess and admit that, and it should drive us to be zealous to find out, okay, God, how do we handle this in a way where we address the injustice, the, the abuse that's happening uh, in an appropriate way that's pleasing to you and for the good of the people who are involved. So um, I think this has been helpful. It, it raises awareness, I'm sure, for so many. But I pray that it breeds a zeal in our heart to run back to the Scriptures uh, to see the wisdom of God. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. And I want to mention to you that we just dipped our toe into this subject. There are so many aspects and facets of the Duluth model that are appearing in lots of different pieces of literature all over the place. And we know this is an issue that we have to address to some degree or another. And what I've tried to do with ACBC is uh, we had permission from the board this past year to start an abuse advisory council. And we're not wanting to dismiss these issues. We need to address them head on. And I've asked these folks to help us put together a statement. So prayerfully, that is going to be coming out in the very near future, at least by the end of the year, as we try to do our diligent work. This is a very tender, sensitive, difficult subject. We're trying to assess literature as best we can. We're trying to drive ourselves to the scripture as best we can. And so I want you to take heart that we are we are wrestling. We would appreciate any comments that you have on this subject that would encourage us or spur us on to think better and more biblically clear about these subjects um, or concerns that you have, because it is an issue, it is a problem, and we need to be able to, to seek the wisdom of God in order to address these issues. And so I want to encourage you with that. I want to thank Dr. Scott for giving his time to research this model, which has become very pervasive, even in biblical counseling. And so I want you to be able to consider these things, and, and hopefully this introduction will make you more aware of it, especially as you read and seek to minister to those who have been abused truly, uh, who, are, who are wrestling under these difficult circumstances. And we do have some resources on our website, as we typically do, and I want to encourage you to go visit our website, biblicalcounseling.com.